0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show
1: description to support now. Hello and welcome to the Robert Lane Creative Careers Podcast, the podcast about creativity and making a living you'd be in home the arts. Last night. I look and you're no this episode of the podcast features a conversation with film writer, director and producer Michael Beddoes. I'm getting some fantastic feedback about the podcast and the fascinating guests I've spoken to. It's great to hear that you're enjoying it, and it would be wonderful if you could write a little review of it on Apple Podcasts. As not only does that please the algorithms, but it also looks great for any possible future guest or contact as it shows that people are listening. As ever, subscribing to and rating the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on is much appreciated, as that encourages the algorithms to push it to more new listeners. Spreading the word by the traditional methods of uh, telling people about it is also much appreciated. Thank you. You can find me and learn more about the projects I'm working on at robertlanemusic.co.uk and I'm on social media as Robert Music. Okay, here's my conversation with Michael Beddows. Hi Michael, how are you? Very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing all right. Enjoying the sunshine from inside (laughs) at the moment. Haven't had my um, government designated walk yet, but I will do later on, I think.
0: That's it, yeah. um, We've got a balcony here that I've just uh, closed so you don't get the sound of uh, a million sirens of London (laughs) coming in on the podcast.
1: Yes, Um, you were saying, so you're in Greenwich and it's quite a, a handy place to have your morning constitutional, you were saying, before it gets busy.
0: It is, yeah. We're just up the road from Greenwich Park and from Blackheath mm. and from the river as well. So there's a few options for early morning walks before the uh, before the less uh, socially conscious and more idiotic head out to crowd the streets.
1: Yes, we're talking at a fairly interesting time, actually. It's the Friday before the Sunday when... The Prime Minister here in the UK is due to say something and we don't know what about our lockdown, um, and there's a lot of speculation. So when this goes out, we could be in quite a different situation to how we're recording it, which is kind of interesting to think about, really. But how has the whole COVID and lockdown situation in- impacted on the projects you were working on beforehand?
0: Yeah, quite quite a lot. So um, basically prior to just prior to the lockdown, Um, I was working full time for a production company here in London um, as an executive sort of producer. And um, that we saw it coming and we saw clients sort of pulling their work and pulling Mm. meetings. So actually myself and a couple of senior members of staff were let go um, at the end of February. Um, But actually, since then this lockdown has given chance for sort of thought creative thought perspective mm. and, um, been really busy actually. I've, um, relaunched a production company, um, called organized chaos films. I started there that back in 2010 to make short films to basically build my own career by producing shorts. And we made some really, you know, really good ones, ones that have gone on to do festivals and awards. And we had a couple of Vimeo staff picks in there. Um, but it's always been for the not for profit side of things, that kind of purely creative, pure, pure storytelling. Yes. Um, but this chance to reflect has been like, I've been doing that side of things for free. And in essence, um, working for other people, um, and building my skills and knowledge. I you know, don't regret anything and any jobs I've had, yes. but I think I've hit a point now where I have connections, both production, client, branded broadcast where I should just do it myself. So, In this lockdown, I've um, relaunched the company, but as a professional outfit, looking to work on commercials, branded content, broadcast and films as well.
1: Fantastic, isn't it? I think it's a time for everybody, whatever their industry, but particularly creatives are having to have this kind of existential look at what it is that they do and what they want to do. And and that's not a bad thing, I don't think, to have those moments where you need to ask yourself those questions.
0: No, I think it's bought us time, and especially people like—I've um, said this in other places and to other people—but um, work people from a working-class background in the arts, because when you constantly have to work, constantly have to worry about your next rent <laughs> mm. rent payment being due, it gives very little time for sort of creative breathing space. That maybe you could afford if you weren't so uh, you know they say hand to mouth in terms of your costs your rent your bills so actually everybody being in the same boat has allowed a little bit of um, yeah some brain time some creative thinking which is kind of good it's the it's a silver lining
1: yeah I think there are some some silver linings in a lot of it obviously combined with the the Everyone's panic about their health and the health of the people they love and those things, but I also feel like a lot of us have got projects that we've said we want to do, and we we give ourselves an excuse of time and all the rest of it. Well, suddenly, time is there. you find out what it is you really are interested in and what you want to do maybe
0: It, it really has i mean in the in the six or whatever weeks it is since we went into lockdown and I was sort of isolating the week before mm. uh, here and going out less and less and and you know only going out to the shops in those six, seven weeks. Um, we've managed to get a couple of things into soft development with some u k broadcasters as, as in t v shows um we've done a co-production deal for two comedy dramas that will eventually be pitched to broadcasters um and we've also uh looked to do a couple of short films which we weren't looking to do before this lockdown, but the scripts were just too good to pass on being the people to produce them um also some uh lined up some some opportunities with people on the branded and the commercial side so once we're out of lockdown i'm going to their offices to discuss the briefs and see if we can cost up so it's given a lot of time to, to yeah to take a pause but also to whir things up and even in isolation so next week we're working with a an incredibly talented comedy director called ben highland and a script writer who is actually also my fiance called amy clark mm-hmm. Uh, The three of us have decided to make and put something out, uh, a comedy, a sort of web series in isolation with with all of us treating it like a mini writer's room. So Ben directs, Ben writes, I produce, I also write on it and Amy writes. So we all take an episode each or a couple of episodes each um, and then we share them, we give feedback and it's been working really well. In fact, Today I've submitted my three scripts to Ben for notes and i've been giving him notes all morning on his so that could be really fun and we're going to shoot that late next week
1: fantastic and th- would that be something that wouldn't have happened had it not been for the lockdown
0: oh absolutely the core concept of it is um it's not about the pandemic or covid-19 but it's it's a sitcom web series that couldn't have happened with the sit in sitcom meaning situation without <laughs> the situation we're in it wouldn't have um, it wouldn't hang together
1: Which is brilliant, isn't it? And there's so many things happening at the moment, which are people are innovating with the technology and just finding new ways of doing things. A lot of it's stuff that was already there. So, you know, all the musicians who were doing live streaming gigs, people did that before, but were finding out actually some of the limitations with the software and the equipment, which is quite interesting in itself and... I was talking to a casting agent earlier about the fact that they have been using self tapes for, for many years. So they're perhaps a little bit ahead of some of the other industries that are now suddenly having to work out how they do this stuff remotely.
0: Yeah, I I've, I've been watching a few of the the sort of musical live streams and they're fantastic. And um yeah, it is sort of it brings it into your home in a mm. in that VOD way, the same thing, way that Netflix brought films from the cinema into your home directly. It's we've all been forced to think about every piece of um, art that we create now. So even um, the National Theatre doing their screening series. Yes, yeah. Um, and that's fantastic as well. It's, it is, it's not ideal, but it's, it's really lovely to see creative people making the best but also trying to bring their art to people because people can't come to the art. So that's really nice. I've really enjoyed seeing that develop over the last few weeks.
1: Mm. And it will be interesting how much of the – because these things are pretty much – uh replacements for the real thing and the live thing but i wonder whether some of them will become their own thing a little bit even when things are a bit more back to normal whether we will have discovered you know new ways of doing things and how that develops it would be interesting to see
0: i think so and i think even the the sort of backroom to creative so whether it's music film tv you know commercials there's always a million meetings that go before it development chats and in my past experience it's been well, could you pop over to, you know, X's office, the client's office, the broadcaster's office for a face to face? And actually, that's fine. That's brilliant. You know, personal interaction is fantastic. But being forced to do everything over Zoom and Skype, I think it's opened up a new avenue to go. We're trying to do things efficiently. Um, we always are as creative people. Um, so maybe the best use of my day isn't a three hour round trip for a 45 minute chat.
1: Yes, exactly. Maybe
0: maybe I can still see you over a video conferencing and the second you hang up, I can get back to doing your work.
1: That's it. And it's better for the environment as well. If people aren't traveling for three hours to have 45 minute meetings everywhere, perhaps.
0: Well, I think so. I think also that's another thing we're seeing and lifting pressure off public transport here in London more actually, because I I sold my car Hmm. because I wasn't using it. But packed commuter hour trains you know and your meeting happens to be at 9am then you are squeezing yourself onto the central line at <laughs> a, an awful time so um yeah i think it's going to make people think what is essential and what is efficient they're two quite interesting questions to come out of this absolutely
1: okay michael would you mind giving us a bit of a kind of potted history of how you got to where you are now in terms of filmmaking
0: yeah sure so um i uh, I'm originally from the West Midlands, not far from your neck of the woods. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then I, I went to uh, to do an undergraduate to become a journalist, but I wanted to become an entertainment journalist. So live music, uh, music reviewing, film reviewing especially, and TV. Um, and then actually I left that degree uh, <laughs> and started to wonder, you know, I really wanted to make films. Mm. And I think looking at my background, there was always people – who said people like you don't make films and TV? They don't. That's not that's not what we do. So I looked at something practical, like reviewing it, um, to use my words to review things and to to look at creative in that way. Um, but I left there with an attitude of, well, I've only feel this way because others have told me. So why don't I just try it for myself? So um, I went and did a masters in producing. I sold my car quit my job <laughs> moved to london did a master's in producing and on that met some amazing people opened up a network and um, made a short film before the end of the the course actually with um, a really talented writer director called felix thompson who's uh, who lives well he lives in l.a now but he used to be a new yorker and he was studying here and we made this film for 600 quid we shot it in a day tiny little thing i think the runtime is four minutes and 40 something seconds uh-huh. um first thing second thing he'd ever made first thing i'd ever made and um it got into south by southwest Oh wow! Um, as its premiere so that was mind-blowing and then it became a vimeo staff pick when it had finished its festivals we did another film together and then off the back of that one i sort of grew my network and i had people say will you produce for me and i kind of made over a semi-short period of two, three years, I made, oh God, loads, six, eight, ten shorts. Um, and then I started looking at directing. Um, and at the same time, got hired by a company that'd seen one of the shorts I'd produced and offered me a job making commercials with them. So it got me my first paid producing gig. Um, so around that time, um, I figured out how to earn money doing it. Mm-hmm. I also figured out how to do the creative side of it and then yeah pulled was got pulled into directing the idea of directing I directed a little very low budget comedy called forget me not uh, written by an amazing comedy writer called Bryony Redmond and that, that had a good old run on the festivals And I was like I've really enjoyed that I really enjoyed the hands-on creative rather than the logistical and financial creative that comes with producing so I kind of ended up in this split role I I would direct as much as I would produce. I would produce as much as I would direct. Um, On advertising stuff, I would become what they call the creative. If you work for an advertising agency, the person who comes up with the idea and sees if it's possible for the money um, and pitches it to the client. And so I've ended up in this sort of multi-role, whereas I've got friends who are dedicated directors. It's all they've ever wanted to do. I've got people who are phenomenal producers, and I've got people who work at the agencies as creatives. I've kind of hopped between all of them over uh, my first directing gig, so six years ago, so over a six-year period. And it's now led me to here, where on the commercials and producing side, I'm I'm sitting in those senior producer, executive producer roles and board-level roles. And then on the hands-on creative role, I'm I'm making shorts. Um, We're developing a feature, or two features actually, Um, And we're looking for these opportunities, these little cracks to get um, broadcast stuff made and narrative stuff made. So the comedy drama, uh, we we are paired with another company that have connections to commissioners at television channels over here. They like our ideas and they have the connections. So rather than going it alone and banging your head against that big wall, we've teamed up to co-produce at least these two projects, maybe more. Um, and it opens other opportunities and other doors. So my journey is um, hard to describe in a nutshell because it started as one thing, which was let's be a let's be a journalist, let's get paid to watch films and great bands and talk about them. And then it's sort of splintered into I really like making stuff with my own hands, to I love being on a set and directing actors. And it's just yeah, it's splintered in all amazing directions. Um, and and now it's left me in this multifaceted creator role where i on certain projects i can support phenomenal writers and directors as as their you know their dedicated producer or i can team with a production company and direct stuff myself or i can write as well so um working with my fiance amy and also solo on tv broadcast and uh, factual entertainment formats as well mm. which we've just got two into development so it's hard to put in a nutshell because it's all over the place
1: Fantastic. There's a few things I'd like to pick up from there then. Let's start with who was telling you then that people from your background wouldn't be directing?
0: It would be at school. Um, so, as I alluded to before, when I was in the West Midlands, I come from a, a working class background. My dad's a, my dad was, he's not anymore, but he was a white goods engineer. Um, my mum was a teaching assistant and we lived in, you know, in Oldbury. And it's, you know, I'm not trying to paint a picture of some, you know, some, council estate you know, living on food stamps kind of vibe. But what I am saying is, it was the kind of place where it was learn a skip. Teachers, people in families, aunties, uncles, it was learn a craft. You, if you've got a craft, you'll always work. Mm. And no amount of that allows creative thinking. So even when I said I want to be a journalist, I was not like, always going to write. I had a couple of family members go, mm can you earn money doing that how did who pays for that like, how do you do it and that that outlook i think sows that negative seed of well actually yeah who does pay for that and who's going to pay me for it i mean it's not a normal job it's not one where i'm going to clock in at nine and leave at five thirty-six. it doesn't take place always in an office mm. i don't have a boss telling me what to do or a structure or you don't always have a structured like job description in some of these roles it makes you think that you need that, that structure, that you need to have someone who will pay you to work within there. And what you realise is, no, in the creative industries, you can make your own opportunities as long as, there's an opp- as, long as someone is looking for that. Um, so that's who was saying it. I would say it was teachers at school and some sort of, not mum and dad, but some sort of distant family members um, who have always, you know, um, before my dad, my granddad, was a, he worked in factories and he was a mechanic. So there's always been that very practical, uh, practical, hands-on uh, approach to work. And it runs all through uh, the family on both sides, mum mm-hmm. and dad. So it was always there of like, it's not a craft. You don't log in. You don't have a foreman. You don't have a boss, a manager. How does this work? And actually, it took till I was 20, oh, I, was on when I did it, 23 going into that master's and having guest lecturers come in and, The head of production, who uh, the head of the course, who was used to be um, the head of the BBC, Professor Jonathan Powell, saying, "You know, people pay for good ideas. People pay for good writers. People pay for someone with a unique perspective on things, because people always want to be entertained." So, it took till I was twenty-three really to start bridging that little gap.
1: Mm. It's interesting because for, for me, the thing was, um it's this career progression you know other other jobs in theory you do this course you do that at school you maybe go to university and do this and do that and then the career is set there and as long as you turn up and do the hours you're gonna get a bit more money every couple of years and progress and of course freelance creative stuff but any freelance or self-employed person it's not really like that is it and i think a that- lot a lot of people find that find that challenging but what sort of my epiphany with that because i was always going to do this kind of thing but the the way I was able to justify it to myself was to suddenly realise, well, in my family, there's been a lot of people working for the council and teachers and nurses and all this because they were secure jobs. Well, even those don't really seem like they are now, so why not do something that you want to do and that you're interested in and that you can give you the best of yourself to as well?
0: That's it. That's sort of the outlook that that no one ever really tells you. And I do think there's – it doesn't matter on your background. I do think in – formal education as well as like the early parts of your career there is a little bit of that isn't there mm. There is a little bit of that um i mean i know it's mainly shown in american films but you know when they go and see the um the careers advisor yeah and we say oh we have run your figures and what you're good at and your scores <laughs> and your exams through a system and you're going to be a travel agent yeah, yeah. It, it's very in the box thinking to do with careers it is a travel agent it is a site foreman it is um a service manager at an appliance company it's it's a salesman it's it's very structured and actually to get people to believe especially people in lower economic eco- um, sorry lower eco- i can't even say the word now it's gone um lower socioeconomic backgrounds
1: yes
0: they're already thinking how do I earn a living? And then you've got a teacher saying this or a careers advisor or a guest speaker saying this. What would be great is more people coming into schools who are musicians, who are filmmakers, TV makers, novelists, poets, you know, getting them to come in and going, Well, I pay my mortgage.
1: Yeah, I've done I'm it. not
0: homeless. I've done it. And this is how and there's no hard and fast this is how I done it, how I did it. That's the I believe that the scary thing actually is you know how a job works. You go for a job interview, they like you, you get the job, and on the 31st or the first of every month, they're gonna put some money, <laughs> mm-hmm. sans tax, in your account. But what they don't what you what you worry is you go, but yeah, but how? How do I do a book? How do I make a book pay a mortgage? How do I make uh playing the guitar pay my bills? It's it's a really odd thing. And actually for the first few years. It is really difficult, and when I've done guest lectures at universities, even the undergrads, the first round of questioning I get is, how did you do it? Mm. And there's no one answer, and that's another scary thing. Is turning to them and going, you have to forge your own path. You have to network, and you have to find people who will hire you. That's the hard bit, but there's no like one path. There's, I mean, the people who were on my master's, one of them is a talent agent now. One of them is a BAFTA and RTS nominated editor. You know, one of them is um, one of them is a store manager in a store completely not connected to the creative arts, but has said, you know, but pitch practice in producing gave me confidence to do this. Mm-hmm. So there's no one route in a creative element. You'll get pulled in different directions, and it's almost like you've got to start off. Creating the small opportunity or the small crack that allows you to get paid to do it or allows someone to fire you, and then almost let keep working hard, but let the tide pull you in different directions and and loosen a little bit of that mental structure that you have is that I should be doing this job now, I should be doing this, I should be doing that it's It's more like once you've shown you can do something well and you've shown it to people or you've put a piece of content out there, hopefully that garners interest from others doesn't always and there's been a couple of when I was freelancing there's been like four whole months where I didn't I pitched on things endlessly and didn't have a paid gig
1: mm-hmm.
0: but the gig I did before that was a tv commercial and paid enough that you can hold on to five months money knowing that you might not work four. <laughs> so
1: mm-hmm. and where, you, sorry yeah, that, Go on. No, no, go. during this um when you're, you're pitching for stuff and those things is it that you're still doing your own things as well so doing your own work because i know that a lot of actors and musicians will say that as much as you're looking out for the opportunities that somebody else is providing you've got to do your own thing in the meantime for a couple of different reasons just just to do it and just the fact that you are creating stuff but then as you say yeah. somebody might see those things and it could lead to something else
0: yeah well that's it so i was going to say when i left my my masters i went straight into trying to earn some money to pay a bill so i took a job it's unrelated to creative at all it was very you know it's very eight till eight till five um steady payment i took that purely because those structured hours would allow me to work on raising funds doing an indiegogo um working on script notes with my my director, writer, because I had a project I wanted to make, but I didn't have any money backing me and I couldn't ask family for it. So Steady Job took a bit from the Steady Job to pay for the project and also used it to find the rest of the money. Mm -hmm. And that comedy, it was a comedy called Womble, um, written by um, Rob Piraway and John Henry Fall. um, And it starred Ben Wilbond from Horrible Histories and um will smith from the thick of it mm-hmm. we put that out it got nominated for best film at the london comedy film awards and it was nominated against another film that had ben will Bond in it uh. um, that was made by a company called hoot comedy and the md was there to represent and they won and afterwards he came over to say look commiserations really loved your film who are you working for and i went well i'm not actually working for anyone right now i'm quite quite new. And he said, Well, why don't you come in for a beer next Friday? Um, when the two, my two partners are in in our office in Camden, and we'll have a chat. And I went over and I had a beer with them for an hour and I sort of didn't really leave (laughs) because I left at 4 p.m. on that Friday after a couple of beers. And by Friday night they'd said, Do you want to start? We've got a couple of clients coming with work and none of us are
1: producers.
0: We have to hire freelancers. Can you start Monday? And that was it. So I spent three years with them.
1: Fantastic.
0: From that meeting, just from a self self-made short.
1: And self-funded short as well.
0: Partially self-funded. I mean director and writer put money in. I put a little bit of money in, and, and some of it was um, through a sort of indiegogo uh crowdfund- early crowdfunding, because we're talking when did we make that? 2014, 2015? Mm. Early crowdfunding. But no, it was um it led to a job that I was steadily in for three years. And only after three years there did I feel that I had the connections and confidence to then spend six months as a freelancer.
1: And, of course, even those projects that don't lead to those things are still fabulous and worth doing just because of what you learn from them, I would imagine.
0: Absolutely. I mean, uh, the third one this week, which was the first thing we made that went to South by Southwest, we I learned about festival distribution. I learned that you can have a film that premieres at South by Southwest. And a bunch of other festivals that are nowhere near as reputable will reject it. I learned that short films um, are easier to program because they're easier to slot into um, slotting into a, an anthology of maybe six or seven than a 20-minute short that's going to eat up a third of their runtime. Yeah. So I, I did. I learned an awful lot. I learned about how you act on set, how you deal with cast and crew, how you budget, and, and mistakes you at a lower sort of risk level because the whole project came in at a few hundred pounds you you make the mistakes when it's cheaper and you don't make the mistakes when you've got thousands of pounds on the line
1: <laughs> yes and are you uh, do you take the attitude that you're still a student now are you do you learn from the projects that you're doing all the time
0: absolutely yeah you never ever stop learning and it's also the fact that every actor writer director crew member you work with is an absolutely different personality yes so no combination of those people is ever going to be the same (laughs) so so you you know you can make two short films with identical budgets and even identical scripts and as long as you crew it up with different people it'll be a vastly different experience and maybe a vastly different outcome so there's that element as well that you you learn every single day
1: What's your definition of a success with a project like that?
0: Mixed. So I draw a success that gives you that boost of this is why I do it. It can be being programmed at a festival. Um, it can be someone finding something you made a few years ago on Vimeo and taking the time to write underneath it, oh, this really brightened my day. This is fabulous. And you don't know them, but they've they've found it through some random link on Twitter that that they found that popped up from years ago or they found it on a Vimeo search. And um, and they, they took that time to reach out and say they loved it. People coming up after a film festival and saying they really loved it. Um, not really awards. We've won a couple of awards for some of the shorts, but they're great. <laughs> but I have this sort of unlucky pattern where I have uh, never been at an award ceremony where I've won something. But I've attended a ton where I haven't. So... <laughs> we won stuff in miami philadelphia and we couldn't be there so we got lovely sort of we woke up to lovely instagram stories and messages <laughs> and well done to this to the team behind sequins which was a a film we made uh, we had it out in the festival circuit last year about a teenage drag queen in 90s blackpool
1: mm-hmm.
0: and um i uh, amy clark wrote that when i directed it and Yeah, I picked up three awards, but we were never present to get them. And even one of the awards was awarded in Luton. But it clashed with another screening in Blackpool. And we made the film in Blackpool. So we went there knowing some of our cast crew and extras could attend. Mm. And decided to do the um, the Q&A after our screening in Luton via Skype. And then we were driving. uh, Weirdly, we were driving to Liverpool. And the phone started ringing, so I took it on hands-free, and it was, um it was like, "Hi, it's Ben. This is the, the, this is the, the festival founder from, um, from Butte Street Film Festival in Luton. You've won best film. Can you talk?" <laughs> and he was pitching it in on the, uh, on the stage.
1: That's fabulous. It reminds me. There's a Michael Caine story, isn't there? But he got nominated for the Oscar for Best Actor a couple of times and went and didn't win. So the mm. third times, oh, screw it. I'm not going to go. And he won, and he was busy making Jaws: The Return, one of the worst films he ever did. So it's that weird kind of <laughs> juxtaposition of I'm winning an award, but I'm making a crap film. But that's that's how it goes, I guess. Because he got.
0: Well, Jaws: The Return, hilariously, is that there's that classic story with Michael Caine, isn't there? Because people always bring up the fact he was filming an abjectly terrible film <laughs> and missed out on winning an Oscar. Mm. And someone I can't remember which one it is, but it's a famous Q and A. He's asked. Um, what what do you think of that? What do you think of the fact that you are in Jaws the Return? And he said, "I'm going to tell you, I've never seen, I've never actually watched, or seen Jaws the Return, but I have seen the House in Miami bought and I can tell you it's lovely."
1: <laughs> yeah, I love it. I, I, I'm got a big fan of Michael Caine, and um, it's it's to do with that as much as anything is that kind of attitude towards things. Similar with what's that film with the, the Swarm. Um, with yes. the bee, the wasps, or whatever. It's like, why did you make that film with the terrible special effects? They said, so, well, when you're making it, they don't tell you the special effects are going to be shit. No, <laughs> they tell you it's yeah. going to be fabulous. So, okay. <laughs> well, um, I did
0: once when I was still doing the journalism thing. I I went to watch a film of his, a little indie he he did for very little money called Harry Brown.
1: Your fabulous film, yeah.
0: I Love that film. But I, I yeah I saw the screening and he did the Q and A, and what I got was the fact that this is this is the legend that is Michael Caine who has done this little indie film for no money. Mm. And he was just so humble and his answers to questions were so warm and witty. He's so sharp. I was kind of like more in love with him when I left that session than when I was, when I went in.
1: Well, that brings up an interesting area of discussion in itself, I guess about, well, actors, but people in general as creatives. I'm not ask you to name any names, but you, I guess you would meet people who aren't a joy to work with and then people who are. And, does that necessarily relate to their talent and their ability or is it something a little bit different?
0: You find that the ones who are more sort of difficult to work with, heavily opinionated, um, you know, rude to their, their fellow actors and their mm. fellow sort of creatives, you find that they're the ones who are mediocre, who are so drowning in their mediocrity that they have to like, make a noise, stomp their feet, feel like they have a voice
1: yeah
0: whereas the ones who are confident they can be and and good at what they do they can be forthright and blunt but it's never rude they never cross that boundary they and and actually forthright and blunt is not a bad thing because that can mean i feel passionately and strongly about this opinion Mm -hmm. you can't take it personally you know i've had um but the ones who are yeah who are struggling I think also the ones that are struggling to get a sense of where they are in the career, their career or the ones that are feeling like it should have happened for me by now mm. they're the ones who can often act like divas or you know or act like arrogant sorts who who um yeah they feel like they've got to prove the fact they're worth being on that set or that project mm. and I've just got no time for that at all in fact it's the quickest way to to um lose my attention <laughs> mm. or my uh, my my response to it. I, I think I did a commercial once and we were in casting and uh I'd written the script and it was for an elderly gentleman and uh <laughs> this old boy came in and I can't remember his name now but he turned round and he said I find your uh, I find the script really insulting and I was like mm. oh okay I didn't say I'd written it i just went oh really why is that and he went because this doesn't ring true for me and i think that whoever wrote it um needs to have a look at themselves also the jokes aren't funny
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then blah 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 and, and like this and i went well thank you for pointing that out i'll take it under consideration and i'll report back to the writer i didn't say it was me Yeah. And, um, and when he left the casting agent leaned over and went that's the sixth time he's done that Oh. And he thinks it's going to, and we've told his agent about it. We think he thinks it's going to make him memorable. And he, he doesn't hate the script because he's pulled it on so many people. He thinks that by being critical, it's going to point him out as a real actor who's critical of everything and sharp and has a voice. And actually all it's doing is showing they're difficult to work with and that they will say whatever they think needs to be said mm. to be stick out. And they're actually, Sticking out for the wrong reasons. That role actually went to someone who came in and at the very end went, If I'm lucky enough to get it, I wouldn't use that turn of phrase because it's a bit young. It's a bit young for me, maybe for people like me, but definitely for me. And he was absolutely right. He did it really quietly and he did it like when the others were doing other things. Mm -hmm. He didn't stand there like Olivier and delivered his critique to the room in a very authoritative voice. So yeah that's that's another thing it's just someone and that that guy you know had the casting agent say that guy has not been cast in anything
1: for years but we
0: put him in Mm. yeah so So
1: just by being polite the other guy kind of got a point across and actually changed something but it was just in a in a way that was for the project i guess rather than for themselves that's the difference maybe
0: that's absolutely spot on. He's doing it for the good of the piece because he said it better. He, and even the line, if I'm lucky enough to get it, like that's just saying, I'm going to give you this note. It might not be me delivering it, but I think it will make your ad better, which yeah. is a selfish act because he might not have got the role.
1: Absolutely. And uh, really, I guess anybody working in anything should be trying to make it as good as they can. And that comes back to, uh, you know, an actor who who is selfless in terms of wanting it to be the best. Ensemble, because that will make the whole thing better. Because they could be fantastic, but if if everyone else looks bad, it's not actually going to make them look any better, is it? It's about the whole the whole team. Well,
0: that's it. It is a team sport, and you can have stars. Like it's a really good metaphor there. You can have stars on a sports team. You can have, you know, if the Man Uniteds of the nineties, you can have the David Beckham, who's on every poster and sponsored by Adidas, but he's not doing what he can do without ten other people around him. Yeah. And it's I've just finished watching an incredible Netflix documentary that I would recommend people check out, even if you're not into sports, called The Last Dance. Mm-hmm. It's about the Chicago Bulls and the sort of Michael Jordan era. And okay. everybody, whether you know basketball or not, knows who Michael Jordan is or knows the name. But even he turns around and goes, I'm Michael Jordan. I I'm the Air Jordan. I'm I own a Nike brand. I am this guy. But I wouldn't have done it we wouldn't have won championships without people like scotty pippin or without dennis rodman i can't do what i do i can't be the famous michael jordan without these guys that's acting because you can have the best actor you can have an oscar winner but if the if the support network's not there all that's going to say is this film is terrible they're quite good in it Mm -hmm. and that doesn't benefit them or us Mm -hmm. so I think um, like sequins has uh, James Dreyfus in it, who listeners might know from "Gimme Gimme Gimme," "The Thin Blue Line," "Notting Hill." Yeah, and he's an incredibly selfless performer, absolutely humble. If he doesn't know something, he asks, and he's he's an actor of, of of many years of experience. He's won an Olivier, and he's still willing to go. I don't get this. Or, I'm not sure about this. Or, or, even in rehearsal, it was like, I'm not confident about this. Can we talk it out? And the flip side of that, there was one scene we had to rehearse for that film with the young lead actor, Robbie Gaskell. Mm-hmm. And it's meant to be like a, a very sensitive scene where this young kid is getting beaten up by the bullies who are calling him, you know, every homophobic name under the sun um james's character me uh, mimi who's teaching him drag the art of drag mm-hmm. notices the bruises turns him towards the mirror and rather than saying who did that do you want to talk about it just shows takes a takes a breath and turns him towards the mirror and goes let's do some cheek contouring lessons mm-hmm. makeup let's give you cheekbones for days my dear like moving on i get it and we went to rehearse that scene and james was like i don't want to rehearse this scene I was like, oh, does Robbie? And he's like, "Nope. we've chatted about it when we were having a coffee. He's a young gay lad. I was a young gay lad, and now I'm an old gay lad. <laughs> we know this feeling. Mm. We know this, this sort of wordless solidarity between people who've been there. We can bring that in spades, and the less rehearsed, the better. And I was like, great, moving on.
1: Fantastic. And you knew him well enough as well to trust in that.
0: I I absolutely trust James. I I really do. I think every decision he's made is right. But like I said to you before, it's like he's also secure enough in his abilities to turn to me and go, "I I don't quite get how that line should be delivered." Mm. Or I sort of think I know how I should be feeling here, but does that serve the film? So he's thinking wider, but he's also happy to ask. So he's not going to he's not going to say, "Well, I'm experienced. I know this. I get this." So mm by the time he said you have can you trust me on this scene I was like absolutely because I know if you had a problem you'd
1: you'd say cool you'd mentioned then that this sort of multi-role thing of being a a producer a director a writer do you have a preference or is it the combination of being able to do them at different times that you enjoy
0: yeah absolutely I love all of them Um, I'm equally happy writing a treatment or pitching or budgeting some project than I am storyboarding or rehearsing with actors I think it's very hard to do them simultaneously um especially in narrative stuff so on sequence sadly we lost our producer to another project and we were so close to shooting i decided to produce it myself and direct it which was manic hmm. but i had the skill set to support that and a lot of the work had already been done to sort of prep so it wasn't too bad but yeah it's a, it's more than a workload if you try and do both it's also two different parts of your brain you really if you want to be thinking about what's going in the camera how do i frame this shot how do i get the emotion the performance and the story across you also don't want to have in the back of your mind is the client okay are the other actors finding their way to set for the afternoon has the catering arrived like they're two very different zones of your brain that shouldn't really be in operation at the same time
1: sequins which you've mentioned was the film that i watched um, a couple of days ago and that's it's great, and that's free and available for anybody to tune in. And I recommend that people do. Where can they find that?
0: So you can go on Vimeo if you type in "sequence short film," it will be uh, either one or two in your searches that pop up, or you can follow it if you're on Twitter at Sequinsfilm, film, all together or lowercase, on Instagram at sequence film, or on
1: Facebook at
0: sequence short film. The links are all on there or on Vimeo by by searching for it directly.
1: And in terms of the projects that you've got upcoming, what's the best way for people to keep uh, updated about those?
0: We have a short film called Seashore that is about to hit the festivals. So they'll be, if they can follow me on at Michael Beddows, B-E-D-O-E-S, on Twitter, um, they I'm always posting links and things and where it's screening and any festivals we get into and the company that made both sequins seashore and an upcoming comedy web series. So there'll be news about that coming in the next week. Um, they can follow at org chaos underscore films or look on www.organizedchaosfilms.com.
1: Fantastic. Michael, can I thank you so much for taking the time to uh, chat to me? That's been really fascinating. Not a problem at all. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. See you next time on the Robert Lane Creative Careers podcast. If you could subscribe to the podcast, share it, like it, comment on it, review it, tell all your friends about it, all of those things would be fantastic because the more that people do that, the more that new people get a chance to hear the podcast, join the community and enjoy the content that we're putting out. You can find me at robertlanemusic.co.uk and I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram as Robert Lane Music please get in touch let me know if you're enjoying the programs and who you think i should talk to in the future thank you till next time goodbye